welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great having you on. No, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, actually, because when did I come across you on TikTok? When did you start doing it's the TikTok It's a while back stuff? now, six months or so, I reckon. It was a while. Mm. It seems longer than that. Maybe it was longer. Maybe it was. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just felt like I started coming across you guys, and then, uh, yeah, and then it's funny. It's funny how you get connected with people, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's funny when you have, like, a, obviously LinkedIn, like, I know everybody by their profile picture. So, like, yeah. that little profile picture is such, like, to me, it's so intrinsically linked to your brand. So I've not changed one in five years. Like, in, in my profile picture, I'm about, you know, 14 stone. I'm, like, a normal size. So when people meet me now, like, you're not the guy from your LinkedIn picture. Definitely not. Um, but I recognize everyone from that. So, I mean, I like, I didn't first recognize you at first on um on linkedin and um tiktok i didn't put two and two together i mean i probably should have because of the name but um but yeah it must it must have been a while ago yeah it's it is funny it's, it's it's the whole thing of like you know when you well obviously people have been meeting up a bit more now but during covid when you had like a new starter you'd get to know them for like eight months and you've never actually like met them at all and then you meet them and they don't look anything like like proportionally as yeah. well I, I always yeah. get because I'm quite short, so I always get. Um, oh, I thought you were like six foot, and I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> I thought I wish yeah. I was six foot. Yeah. Now we 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 had a good, we had exact same scenario. Tom uh, Tom Bilton, who works with me, we, he joined us during COVID, and um, he lives in Wales. So like when I met him for the first time, it was really surreal. And like we're we're both quite short. We're both like five foot eight or so. Um, but I always expect people to be much bigger in real life. So I was a bit like, oh, hello, mate. You know, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> yeah, it was really strange. Yeah, it is, it is really a funny strange. one, but it's the world we live in, I suppose. Um, it is but yeah, mate, if you could just like, I suppose, give a little intro around, you know, who you are, what you do, just for people who don't know who you are. And yeah, just uh, take us through your journey, really, mate, just up until sort of present day. Of course, man, of course. Well, I'm sure most people probably won't know who I am, but they might have seen a couple of annoying videos on um, on LinkedIn or TikTok. But um, so I'm Will. So I um, the founder and MD of a company called OX7, and I've also got another recruitment agency called You Exclusive. Um, so I've actually only been in recruitment for about nine years um, in total. So not a massively, massively long time. Um, but kind of I started my working career like well early on so i i've always wanted to earn money so i've always been really dead set on kind of having my own money and my own cash so i used to clean my school so i used to be a cleaner at my secondary school so that's probably from like year 10 or 11 so like 14 15 i would um actually buff corridors so i was a buffer guy you know you see on like the american high school thing is like someone going yeah. on the buffer well i actually did that i fucking loved it so i am um, i started off doing that and you know <laughs> I um yeah used to clean like the teachers' lounge and stuff, and I used to nick drinks out their fridge. Like they'd have like loads of nice like ice cold diet cokes, and I'd just be drinking those all the time. Um, like a well, hang on a minute, how did you get this job? Though? How did that come about? I don't know actually. I fucking don't know like how I got this job. I must have just maybe asked someone, like you know, one of the cleaners, like how do you get this job? And she's like, oh, you need to go talk to Pam down in the science block. And I was like, you know, when I found Pam. And um, I was like, Pam, you know, can I have a job, please? And she's like, well, can you buff? I was like, yeah, 
Of course I can. Of course I can buff. You know, fourteen-year-old me. Of course I can. I can use a buffing machine. Don't worry about it. And then she said, "Okay, go do a science corridor and see how good you are." And I just basically said, "I was just quickly showing me how this one works because uh, the normal buffer I use is a bit different to this one." And so she showed me, and it was easy. You just put a trigger down and just move it around like that. It's just a piece of piss. So, um, so yeah. So I started. I did that, and I did that throughout my um, GCSE years and the first part of sixth form. And then as soon as I could learn to drive, I um, I sacked cleaning off. I was like, Pam, you've been great to me, love, but I've, I'm going to shoot off now. I'm going to go get a proper job. So I got when I got a proper job at Burger King, um, which was which is actually one of the best jobs I've ever had. Like a million percent. I still, I, I reckon one day I'll retire and go and work at Burger King. Because it, it was just fucking fantastic. We we used to be in one of the busiest Burger Kings in the country. So it was on the um, junction ten of the M40 at Cherwell Valley. So like we would have coach loads of football fans coming in from London to you know going to Birmingham or Manchester or whatever, and it would just be ramo all the time. Um, and I used to love working in the kitchen. I used to love making the burgers and you know doing the fries and then going on till and stuff and all of my mates got jobs there. So there would genuinely be times where there'd be like 10 people on shift and it'd all, it'd just be us like, just be me, me and the lads, you know, kind of just working. So it was a real good laugh. Um, so I did that all the way through sixth form. And actually that prevented me from going to university. Cause I was like, do you know what? Ugh, I don't really want to go to uni. Like, I don't know why I would go because I, I wasn't mm. overly academic. Um, I just wanted to kind of earn money and have a laugh. Like, that, that was good enough for me. And of course, it was free burgers every day. So that was a massive bonus. Um, so I didn't go to university. I thought, fuck it, I'll stay at Burger King. And they put me through like a management training course. Um, and so bearing in mind, I was like 18 years old. And they're like, look, you can now run this unit. And, you know, because you're showing a lot of potential, you can also go on a duty manager course for the whole of Moto. And I was like what does that entail well, like, well you're just in charge of like the entire site when you know the designate gms and there i was like right so what what does that really mean they're like well you're in charge i was like fucking that so I, I did it and it was pretty horrendous if i'm honest because like as an 18 year old you were dealing with some pretty like crazy shit so once we had a load of Millwall fans come down on a bus and they stole two signs and took them onto their bus ride so like two a board signs and they're right. like yeah you have to go get those off a bus mate you're gonna have to go and get them from the fans i was like what like you know wearing my burger king uniform with my cap on kind of going onto the Millwall bus end hello hello chaps hope you're well um and, and having a good day um please can i get that a board sign back because if you don't i'm gonna get sacked by my uh by my boss so is that all right so it was just a real kind of eye-opener to like like thrown in at the deep end um which was fine which i love that and so yeah so i did that for like two or three years and then i i went into phones for you once the old phone shop and um i was buying a contract phone so back in the days where you like they were literally begging to give you contract phones and they would give anyone a phone they're like oh you know you you sound like you can kind of you know you've got a gift of the gab have you ever thought about working in um you know in in phones for like, no no, I've not. Buzzing. And so I ended up going for an interview there. And in my interview, they genuinely did the whole sell me this pen. Here's a pen, sell me this pen. And, you know, mm. having never worked in sales before, I was full on like, 
Well, it's um, it's a lovely big biro. The, the, the plastic is is beautiful and um, it, it will write for months and months, and you'll make your handwriting look really nice. I didn't know what to say. I was absolute chatting rubbish, um, but I ended up getting a job, and that is it was the most competitive retail sales environment like I've ever known because in in the shopping center mm. we was in you had phones you here you had Vodafone O2 EE uh, or free as well and then Carfin Warehouse and all of that all trying to sell people phones so like literally your job was is when someone came in to inquire about a phone you would not let them leave until they've bought a phone so that was like mental but I was just I found it really easy like I don't know whether I was really persuasive or or for what but like I could just sell every single person that came in a contract and you know it would literally be like people were coming with their mates right and I'd be like I would pretend so, so their mates come in to buy a contract phone and I would like pick up the phone and like ring the talking clerk at the time sponsored by Accurist it's and I'd kind of be talking to people and said oh just a quick one like your friend's just been approved for a contract phone as well like did you know that they're like, really? Yeah. And so I would, yeah, I was a pretty, um, I was taught the dark arts really of selling, basically. But it was really interesting. I really enjoyed it. And um, so, yeah, so anyway, then I was doing that for a while. Then the town I live in opened like this um, big call center, which was debt collection. So it's telephone debt collection. So people that owe debts to funding their phone companies or insurance or credit cards, loans, whatever, like, you would phone them up and say, oh, when are you going to pay it back or, or what can we do? And, you know, that was a, like a, not family room, well, it kind of was a family room business, but it, it grew so quickly, and so um, like rapidly. It was just an amazing place to work because it was such like a social environment. So I did that for like two and a bit years. Um, and that was a pretty crazy job, right? Like, I would have people telling me every day, I'm going to come and wait outside the office and I'm going to kill you when you leave. I'm going to stab you. Uh, right. I was kind of like, okay, cool, man. Yeah, I'm the guy wearing the blue jumper with the um, with the lanyard. You know, if you see me, say hello. Um, and like at the time, I didn't realize how scary it was. Um, but people were saying, yeah, I'm going to burn your parents' house down and stuff. I was like, fucking hell. Like, steady on, mate. You only owe 80 quid to MBNA. Like, chill out. Um, so it, it was a pretty, pretty interesting job, but it, it taught me to, um, like, have empathy with people and, and actually treat people like human beings. Like, these people, most people, you know, don't really get into debt on purpose. Like, it kind of is a necessity. I mean, it gets yeah. out of hand. And something's happened in their life, which means they're not able to afford it anymore, which 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 was like you would listen to some real horror stories. Um, so I was kind of plodding along. It was a call centre job. I loved it. So, you know, every Friday, everybody would go to the pub, everyone get drunk together. Then sometimes you do a Saturday together and, you know, it was a laugh because you'd all be hammered and from the night before. Um, but it was just a dead end job. Like I was never going to go anywhere doing that. It paid shite money. There was a time I was living next door to my parents in the house they owned, and I was refusing to pay rent because I was like, "Look, you had me, you know, you gave birth to me, so therefore, why should I pay you rent?" You know, again, I was a dick. Um, <laughs> so I was living rent free in, in a house of my own with all this like essential, essentially pocket money to go and do whatever I wanted with. So, yeah, but, but then I was like, I need to actually get a career here. So um, I I got introduced to this. Um, this entrepreneur so he's like a pharmaceutical entrepreneur and my missus at the time so my ex-missus was his PA 
and he's like had these three businesses that he was running by himself he's like i just need someone to come in and do it for me um she's like oh my my god my boyfriend would be perfect for this you should meet him and so i went and met him and like i kind of you know put on a bit of a front i wore my best suit you know went to moss brass and bought a lovely suit and um kind of just said to him he said look these are my businesses what would you do and I was just thinking, right, what have I been taught to do? And I was like, oh, to sales. I said, oh, yeah, I'd go and sell to GSK or Allegan or all these people. And kind of, you know, it set me up quite nicely. He's like, oh, yeah, we want to, you know, boost sales. And bear in mind, these are micro businesses. So these are mainly ideas like funded by him, but have like like a, um, a data center in like Bangalore. So all these guys in India, right, mm. who were creating these products, he needed someone to take them to market. So... I basically went and did that and managed to blag that job, which for, like for, for what I was capable of, it was like a massive, massive leap of faith and jump into the deep end. So he um, he said, look, in two, like, on my first says, like, just let you know in two weeks time, you're going to go to this um, conference full of like aesthetic practitioners. So basically like plastic surgeons and stuff. And I want you to talk about and sell our like AT, not an ATS system, but like a CRM system. So that's somewhere where everybody's data would get a lot of the customers' data and all the patients' data. And I was like, oh, okay, wicked, like fucking hell, that's throwing me deep and big time. And um, so I did that and I presented to a room of like 180 doctors. Like, you know, I learned every slide, slide by slide. And I went through it all, like just knew it off by heart and performed it. I was nervous, but like I did it really well. I could see him at the back of a room looking really proud of me. I was like, oh, mate, this is this is wicked. I was proper buzzing. So I presented it all. And then the fella who was like looking after it said, right, who's got some questions? But all these fucking doctor's hands went up. But they're asking me questions. I was like, I've not planned for the questions. I've got no idea what you're fucking asking me here. So I was kind of like, oh, I will come back to you on that one and let you know if that's okay. And I think the, the host must have taken Pete on me. She's like, after two questions of me being like, fuck those. He's like, okay, what we'll do is you can meet him after us and do it. So, um, so yeah, so I, was, I did that for like three or four years. Um, and during that time, I, I actually used a recruitment agency um you know to, to kind of staff a few of the businesses I, I didn't really know how the model worked i just knew that you know i'd ring this guy up and he would send me someone to like be on reception or to you know do some calls to me or whatever and then send me an invoice yeah. and would pay it and that was it but um that might the job with the guy came to an end and i went to the recruitment guy who i knew and i was like look i need a job mate you know can you help me find one and um he said why don't you come and have a chat about doing recruitment you've got sales experience you know that could work quite nicely so it was a it was a husband and wife business and um i went in after work one day and they kind of like they pitched to me they said this is what the business is i said guys okay i'm not actually going to leave this office until you give me the job like you've sold me the dream i ain't going anywhere until you let me work for you so he, he obviously sold me all the, the, the great bits of recruitment and um he was right. You know, he was right about. How old were you at this point when when you first got into recruitment? Twenty eight, twenty nine. So it's quite quite like later in life, really, compared to most. So I didn't go to university, so you know, I didn't. I had a few GCSEs and I had a couple of A levels and an AS level as it was back then. But I um I went in quite late to life, so I kind of had a bit of life experience. Like I understood, you know, what debt was, what a mortgage was, and all this other stuff. So I was I, I wasn't going in completely like 
blind to all of that. Like, you know, you see a lot of grads go in and you're like, look, you've got no life experience in recruitment. So it's going to be a lot more difficult for you to empathize of a guy who's thinking about leaving his job, but he's got his wife nagging at him, but he's got something secure, blah, blah, blah. Like, so yeah, I was, I was relatively old going into, um, into recruitment at the time I did, but I was just like absolutely kind of hooked on it. Like I just, I just was like, oh my God, I talk to people all day um about kind of interesting stuff and i was a generalist so i was an absolute kind of you know work in lots of different markets and i loved that and mm. you know it was just getting to a time where generalist was a very dirty word like if you were a, you need to be a specialist you need to you know knowledge an inch deep but a mile wide all that kind of stuff right so um i really enjoyed being a generalist and um had a really good kind of two or three years working for this company um like it, and it was an industrial temps company but wanted to do more perm stuff so i came in and did their perm stuff but i was also surrounded by the temp controllers like essentially herding cats into you know bookings and stuff which was such a difficult job um but then they sold a the business to a, a large national i can't remember the national it is now but like, if you want to continue and do perm stuff here you're going to need to go and work in the head office, which is in the centre of Northampton. Now, anyone's even, anyone who's been to Northampton knows it's a fucking shithole. It's horrible. It's, you know, I'd rather work in Beirut. It's, it's terrible. So I was like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go there. Fuck that. So I ended up going to work for another agency who were basically outskirts of Northampton um, called Wallace Hind who were um, survey our exec search and retained recruiters. And the, the training I had there by, by Matt Hogg, who was at the time a sales director, but now is MD, was like the best training I've ever had on anything. You know, like it was just absolutely, I was like, oh my God, like I, I thought I knew recruitment, you know, after two years of like, you know, mm -hmm. good billings and, you know, thinking I know it all, flipping act. Like he just absolutely rewired my brain on what quality recruitment is. And um, yeah, so I loved it. I loved working retained. I loved pitching retained. And I loved, you know, the whole candidate experience, like how important that was. It really kind of drove that home for me. Um, so that was going really well. And, and I just had my first daughter. Well, in fact, my, my new daughter. I just said Sienna. So she was like three months old. And um, my old MD came back to me and said, oh, dude, just let you know, I've got um, a couple of investors who want to invest in me and start a business. Would you be interested in coming and doing it with me? And I was like, I'm really enjoying Wallace Hind. Like, it's brilliant. Like, I just don't want to leave anywhere. I just, I just don't want to leave. And he's like, I'll give you a 10 grand pay rise. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll fucking <laughs> no problems at all. But, so I ended up leaving them and going off of him kind of to try and start this kind of business right and and these guys came from a hospitality background they owned a you know group of hotels and day spas and they essentially wanted to have an internal recruitment function but then, <clears throat> but then also um you know to, to, to create an agency so it's kind of self-sufficient so that's what we were aiming to do now probably did that for about a month or two and it became very quick that they were like the investment they wanted to give wasn't what wasn't wasn't in line with what the business partner at the time wanted to do so he's kind of like, mm. Look, we'll go set up on our own and um you know fuck the investment we'll just do it organically but then they approached me and they said look well we've worked with you now for like a month or two we think you're fantastic you know would you be open to 
doing something which will maybe be a little bit less investment, but it's yours. I was like, yeah, go on then. Yeah, that sounds wicked. Um, which obviously was a difficult decision because I felt like I was massively screwing over my old boss and I really liked him and respected him. But for me at the time, it was perfect. So when I first started OX7, it wasn't like I'd like put loads of clients aside for ages and I had all this regular income. Like I'd literally yeah. just been given the opportunity on a bit of a whim. So like I was having to start from literally nothing. So no clients, no regular billings, nothing at all. Just with some guy saying, look, we've got an office you can have on our, um, on our business park and we'll kind of fund whatever you need. And they're really bullish businessmen. So they're like, yeah, fucking grow as, as quickly as you want to. Whereas I was a bit like, look, guys, we need to do it slightly more sensibly. So let me get all the foundations in place, all the right processes. And then maybe I'll hire some people and then we can kind of, you know, grow steadily. So that's what we did. I hired some people kind of about three months later. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then, um, it, like, we grew steadily. So, like, you know, this was kind of, 2018 time so march 2018 um i, I probably started oak seven first people joined in july 2018 um and then we grew st steadily to like 11 people by so we were at 11 heads in 2020 so february 2020 and um it kind of just covid hit and their business was hotels and day spas and they closed overnight right. and you know they were just like shit we can't really be seen to support like a recruitment business um and they're like also you know we're not no one knows what's gonna happen with your business either so like literally overnight it was like look, all of that funding which which was essentially an overdraft they essentially gave me an overdraft um that's gone you owe a system amount of money you've got 11 people to you know pay in what 14 days thank you kind of good luck um so yeah kind of got to covid and it fucked it up a little bit but um but yeah we had about 40 grand on the sales ledger and amazingly people paid i didn't think a single per person would pay but every single person paid for invoice and so i was like massively appreciative of that but what i did is it cut the open strings so you know i used to, i could wear a part of a where we were part of a larger group, I had someone doing our finances. You know, we had a marketing team to kind of help us do websites and socials and shit. So that all went very quickly. So it's kind of like, right, yeah. I'm on my own two feet now and I have to sort all my other stuff out. So I literally had like a baptism of fire of like, look, this is actually how you run a business. This is how you file VAT return. This is how you pay HMRC, you know, all of that other shit, which was taken, you know, done, done after me. So like 20, 20 was like a re rebirth for us really so we've kind of slowly grown back up again but the, the, like my biggest ever fear is having to make people redundant or let people go and obviously i experienced that in um in covid like the worry until furlough was announced of, of having to do that so i've always been ultra cautious when growing again but we can do it sustainably and sensibly so i know a lot of businesses grow and there's like hyper growth and, and whatnot but um i've tried to do it as sensibly as i possibly can so i look after the people i've already got working for me who've obviously dedicated a lot of their kind of time and resources you know to, to make an excellent great so so yeah i appreciate i've waffled there so apologies but um but yeah that's interesting mate it's interesting so with regards to scaling because a lot of recruitment companies get this wrong, right? So how do you, what's your process in terms of like, 
actually deciding who you hire like how do you identify the right person do you go for more junior people and train them up or do you go for like mid or senior people who are ready made so it's interesting so we i've tried both ways and i i don't actually know which is the best way still so i've tried to hire mid senior hires to come in who've got the knowledge who can come in and deliver um and some of them have worked some of them haven't and i've tried juniors you know who have no recruitment knowledge at all but have maybe industry knowledge about something else and train them to do recruitment and some of them have worked and some of them haven't it's a really difficult um i don't think it's a right answer we, we try and do it on the, on the individual on a particular person because we're a smallish team who are quite close and i think anyone who comes into it it is difficult at first because when you work with people day in day out like there's very close bonds and it's difficult sometimes to penetrate that so we've had for example sammy who's come in so sammy's the first girl in ages who we've employed right she had a bit of recruitment experience but not a huge amount and actually she was trained really well one of our competitors so when she came in like she just needed a little bit of rewiring like we we polished a bit of uh like corporate professionalism out of her and made her a bit more kind of real um i think that's a bit of a sweet spot for us so someone who's already been trained but just needs to have a bit of freedom to be allowed to do what they you know say what they want to say and kind of be themselves because we find a lot of companies who train people like train them to be ultra corporate and ultra kind of you know wear a suit and tie because that's what we should be doing whereas we're a bit more like fucking hell we're human beings let's just talk on a level um so i think our sweet mm. spot is someone who's maybe had i don't know six to 12 months in recruitment um who kind of know how to get from a to b but maybe needs a bit of kind of like refinement in doing so i think that's a bit of a sweet spot for us yeah it's uh it's an interesting one it really is i've personally from my experience i think i've actually seen more senior hires fail like the, you know the expensive exec mm. search types who come in on double the salary everyone else is on yeah yeah i i've known a couple of people who've come in at like exec search level um high, big high basics who have promised the world but not been able to replicate what they've had at another agency and i completely get it right you know you, you have legacy clients at another agency clients who know you really well um and then come in somewhere else to try and kind of replicate that can be very difficult so yeah i, I would say that's been our biggest kind of you know mistakes of bringing people in who've been on very high basics you know who probably don't necessarily need to earn commission and haven't necessarily been as motivated as the people who want to earn the commission. Yeah, here's a tricky one. So what would you say, you know, obviously you've already talked about like a couple of massive challenges. Do you have, did you go through any other massive challenges when setting up the business that maybe anyone else can learn from? Do you know what? I'd love to say I had lots of challenges and it was really difficult, but I was really fortunate to have really understanding kind of, investors and kind of you know seasoned business professionals around me to kind of advise the mistake i made was i didn't listen enough i didn't take enough interest i was very blinkered into thinking all i should be doing is billing all i should be doing is making money now you know making money for tomorrow making money for the next week um when actually if i'd have probably taken a step back and said actually 
I'm going to sit with this finance director who's got 15 years of experience running multinational businesses and really understand my P&L and really understand the implications of some of the decisions I'm making financially. You know, I should have done that. I also should have, you know, racked the brains and racked the networks of kind of the, the, the people who I was kind of who are investing in us. But all I was thinking about is all they want, all they care about, all they want to see is my billings or the billings of a business like this week, next week mm. and next month. Where actually, if you want to create a really sound and kind of secure business, you need to spend a little bit time, a little bit less time working in the business and more time working on it. And it's still a concept which I struggle with because I'm a biller, right? I'm a, I'm a kind of a natural born biller. So taking a step back and saying, actually, I, I need to be thinking about our, you know, how we're using our ATS or how we're, you know, utilizing all our tech stack to, you know, to the best ability or, you know, are we being, are we spending the money in the best way? Like I need to do more of that as opposed to picking up the phone, making, you know, 20 sales calls every single day. Um, I think working on the business is 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 far more important than working in the business, even when you're small. Yeah, it's. I think it's a lot of founders as well. They they really struggle, even outside of recruitment. There's always that struggle with stepping away from the hands-on work. Like a lot of people struggle with yeah. it, especially those who are like you know control freaky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a difficult one. I I think I I'd, I'd really struggle as well because I'm one of those people that likes to be like very very in control of things and i like to know what's going on and i've read quite a few books of i like you know um what's his name james khan from dragon's den so mm -hmm. he i remember reading about him and he was you know very very hands-on and then it got to a point where he had to hand it off to start doing other things he really struggled with that that transitional period um and uh yeah I, I i think a lot of companies as well they like like did you realize that if you didn't start focusing on hands-off stuff that it would affect the growth it took me a while to realize um because you get so wrapped up in consistently billing and like <sighs> I've always wanted to be like super self-sufficient, right? So my, the, the, when I kind of think about the business, I think, well, look, as long as I can cover all the costs, right, for my own billings, any costs or any anything else that people make is going to be like a nice profit bonus. But what you actually do is you forget that you should be coaching people, you should be leading people, and it stifles their growth and it stifles their development. So when you're just so obsessed with like your next deal and your next kind of, job on or your next client on you forget that you know josh actually probably needs a bit of kind of support on bd or you know adam needs some help with how he's positioning his opportunities to clients and you think actually if i spent more time helping those guys you know do more and get better that's going to benefit the business far more than me just with my blinkers on concentrating solely on billing um, and I think it took me a long time to realize that. It took me a long time to think, actually, you know, the, the, the best thing I can do for this business is, is, you know, be a leader, trust and empower, you know, my the people who work with me and, you know, really develop them as much as I can. So I can get to a point where I don't even need to think about building myself. When you became stepped into like that leader's shoes, 
did, have you found it like a natural step in transition for you? Like, do you feel like you're a, a natural born leader, a natural born manager, or did you struggle with that? I'll be honest, mate. I, d- I do feel a little bit as I'm a natural born leader and a, you know, more, more a manager than a, le- uh, more leader than a manager. So like, I've always been like captains of football teams and captains of cricket teams and whatnot and like done all of that kind of stuff. So telling people what to do and getting people behind you has always been quite like not easy for me, but I've got, I, like I've, I've always managed to get people to buy into me. So if it wasn't a massive transition to get like into a leadership thing, the thing I've struggled with like is more the managing side because managing and leadership, like there's two different skill sets. Managing is a lot harder for me because I don't like upsetting people. I don't like, you know, having those difficult conversations where you have to say to someone, mm. you know, you've done fuck all this way. What's going on? Right. Because I, I fundamentally, it sounds a bit hippie-ish. I want people to be happy. I don't want to make people feel miserable. And if I'm telling someone, you know, you're fucking, you've done nothing this week. It's embarrassing what's going on. That's going to make someone feel like that's a shit. And they're going to go home. Even if they are taking the piss, they're going to go home thinking, oh, I'm fucking hell. I've had a right dressing down from my boss here. Whereas I always try and do it really constructively and try and do it in the sense that, look, mate, this is where you should be. Like, this is what I'm kind of expecting you to be like. And this is where you are. Like, what, what's going on? You know, it's, it's like, I think my style is very much trying, like, rather than shout and KPIs and all that kind of stuff is just to trust people and to say, look, this is what I think you should be doing and allow them to arrive, arrive at conclusions themselves. And if they can't see that, they can't see where they should be and why they're not there then, you know, it's probably a case of, like, we're probably not going to work out. So I, I specifically try and employ people who are switched on, who kind of know what they should be doing and know what to expect. So um, I've always tried or keep oh, try, try to keep to a minimum of the amount of conversations I have, which are either confrontational or, like, I know are going to make people feel like shit, which is... Not a great trait, I know, and a lot of people who I know in business are like, "You're an idiot. You need to fucking be harsher." But I see it as failure for, on my part if I'm not um, getting the best out of someone. Like I, I, I will ex- exhaust every single avenue, even if that means, you know, months and months of no billings, because it's my duty to that person. When I took them on, I promised them I'd train them and I promised I'd get the best out of them. Like I have to. I have to really get to a stage where I'm like, we've tried everything here. I'm afraid you're gonna have to go. Like, I I won't do it really willy nilly. Like, I won't be like, oh, you've not built this month. Get your fucking jacket. See you later, mate. Like, I will do everything I possibly can to make sure someone is performing to the best of their ability without being a complete fucking bastard about it. If that makes sense. Yeah, I did a uh, I did a personality thing like a year and a half ago, two years ago. It's like a recruitment. Uh, management thing when I first became a recruitment manager and one thing came up is that we were sort of looking at different um, areas of like personality and management style and stuff and one thing that came up I think for me was I'm very similar to you in that I'm very coaching led and the, the yeah. we went through like the strengths and weaknesses of each one but the the coaching one was basically that you genuinely believe that like pretty much everyone can make it and you can like Mm. eventually coach them to being good so the trait of someone who's very coaching led and very coaching focused is that 
they hang on to people months too long and they'll just yeah basically um keep people that should have been let go months ago so it sounds like you're very similar to me in that regard i am completely i like and that is a a weakness which a lot of people have said oh you know like in most agencies they would have probably you know got rid of you know lots of people many times where i haven't um but then i don't want to be like most agencies you know i want to i want to think of like stuff in in terms of 12 24 36 months rather than oh you're having a bad quarter fucking off your pop oh i know you've just had a newborn baby but i think you're shit mate you know whatever i want to be mm-hmm. like i'm gonna i'm gonna trust you i'm gonna develop you i want to do you know right by you but you know please over time reciprocate that and fucking you know stand by me um so I, i'm i'm very much te- i would take it as massive personal failure if um you know if if i if someone if i had to let someone go i i, I would say it's my fault like I, I would never say it's their fault the only time i'd say that is if, if they weren't applying themselves but i think we've created a culture where everybody does genuinely want to apply themselves and you know they don't see it as like this annoying chore or having to do bd or whatnot because they see the end goal and they're like i know this is how we get there it's just a step in the process yeah with regards to like the setup because obviously you talked a little bit about process there but in regards to the setup how are you guys set up are you, are you all 360s or do you have like a delivery team because the reason i ask is i know there's it's become more popular over the last few years to have you know some companies have like 180 so they don't have any 360s they yeah. just have people do bd people deliver and um i never used to be a big fan of that as a 360 consultant because i i, I personally wouldn't be able to do it going back to the whole control freaky thing but the yeah. you know i've actually like as a manager i actually saw the value in it over the last few years because having even to like you know have a team of 360s and then having a bd person to supplement the the business coming in um i don't know what what, what do you think of that model and how do you guys do it so we're all 360s but i'm completely with you on actually 180 models might be better so my, my, my view is right the person who takes the brief from the client should be the person who is searching for those candidates right so i think second in, second-hand information like in recruitment like kills so much like it, it just makes life so much more difficult so i do believe the person who is taking the brief should be the person going and finding those those candidates so that's what we do here so like everybody here is is, is full 360 and I don't think that suits everybody. Like, I don't think anyone can go and do full 360. And actually, the people that do 360 well, I think are fucking brilliant. Like, and I love employing good 360 consultants because I love the fact they can go out, win business, and then go out and find a candidate, place them into a role, jobs are good, and they do the full full process. Fantastic, right? But if I want to scale this business, which I do... I kind of accept you're probably going to have to have two sides. You're going to have to have the BD people whose skill set lies in going and winning new business, being tenacious, you know, kind of following up, being, you know, just fantastic with people. But then you're also going to need the people who can do the resourcing, which is a completely different skill set, who can spend the hours looking on LinkedIn or read or whatever mm. and tweaking words, you know, tweaking 
acronyms to find that very difficult to find person who can go and network with candidates who's more than happy to go to like a you know a network evening for a I don't know, like a marketing meetup and be there and be the recruiter and say, oh, hi, I'm Will from OX7. I'm a recruiter, you know, but I just want to get to know you guys. Um, that's a completely different skill set. And it's very rare you get the BDM as kind of, you know, resource and skill set in one person. Like, and you can get them because, you know, they do exist. But if I want to scale it and make it bigger, I need to do have those two, I need to have those two sides, right? Those the people who can do the BD stuff really well the people who can do the resourcing really well. Now, we're, we're not of a size yet where I can necessarily go and do that straight away. So we're, we're, we're building foundations at the moment. We're building processes. We're building presence. We're building brand. And bear in mind, we're five years old. So we're not a startup. We're not, we've not been around for three months. We've been around for a while. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think we're still at the stage where we're like, right, we're going to do things properly. We're going to scale it. But in order to do that, you know, we must have the right foundations in place so that that's what we're spending time doing but i i can see in two three four years time but we're going to have a team of bd professionals and a team of resources kind of working in tandem and almost in like a buddy system um so that's why i think it'll, you know that's what we'll do yeah no it's, it's, it's an interesting concept because there's so many different ways to do this and look, i'm not a recruitment business owner um, I can only talk from my experiences, you know, working in an agency and then obviously becoming a manager in an agency and like running a small office. But I know there's way more that goes into it. But for me, like the more I've the more I've been involved in this industry, especially as look, the reality is, like you said, 360, like true 360 consultants, not 360 consultants, but true 360 consultants who could essentially just run their own business if they wanted to yeah. and do really well are so rare so so rare i i only realized this after a couple of years in the industry because i just thought a 360 consultant 360 consultant but a lot of the times when you dig under um you dig into the details and you understand context around people's desks and stuff especially when you're interviewing a lot of the time a 360 consultant who's billing you know 250k a year on on a, on a perm desk sounds amazing but then you find out actually well you know, 80% of their clients were just handed to them. They used to, they, they'd win a yeah. client every four months to sort of maintain their 360 yeah. status. But, you know, they weren't really that good at BD. They're more like, you know, a 180 saucer who is okay at BD, but gets sorted out a lot by the company. Yeah. But then you've also got, you know, the sometimes you've got a 360 consultant who's shit hot at BD and, um, I said, I said in a LinkedIn post the other day, you could sell Annie Persprint to um, Prince Andrew, but then a lot of their roles are just filled by um, by their, their delivery consultants. So yeah. it's, 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 I think it's it's pretty hard to, to really understand who the 360s are. And I, I really do think that there's really not that many. I, I think I've worked at four or five different companies and, you know, we're combining about what 200 consultants there i'd probably say i've worked with four or five really proper 360 consultants so if you can get them great amazing you're going to save loads of money on um hiring two people as well but the reality is um unless your training system's really good the reality is that you're probably going to sort of end up with that 180 model anyway in a way yeah. 
but your, your people are just pretty much called 360s, aren't they? Well, that, that's it. And you, you touch on something really interesting, man. And this is what we've seen so often and things we've picked up in interviews of people who've inherited legacy clients. You know, don't get me wrong, well done, you've managed your account really well and you've grown it. But actually, the real skill is being self-sufficient, right? Being being able to go, right, you know, give me a laptop, give me a phone, give me internet connection, and I'll go and make you money. It's like, it's easy. And at, like, I, I I genuinely believe I'm a pre-CC consultant, right? So I think if for whatever reason, I packed OX7 in and, you know, I was like, fuck it, I want to go work for someone else. I could go to a business owner and say, look, you know, just give me the infrastructure and I'll go and win clients and then I'll go and fill the role. I'll, I'll do it all myself. Like that is the biggest skill set and it is so rare. And we've interviewed people where exactly like you say, you're like, okay, cool. So tell me about the clients. You're like, well, you know, da, da, da. I've worked with them for like five years. Okay, how did that come about? Well, when my boss was leaving his desk, he kind of passed one to me and then I've grown it. I was like, okay, cool. So you didn't actually win your client. Or, you know, tell me about um, where did you get those candidates from? Oh, they're just on my database. Oh, well, they're your candidates. Oh, no, they were just, just on there. Like, the ability to do everything from fresh is incredibly difficult, right? And in this obviously new world where we're going to embrace AI and stuff, that there's going to be far less of a requirement for people to do the absolute fresh stuff, go and get a fresh new client and go get a fresh new candidate because we'll utilize the data we have, you know, on the databases far more effectively using AI. Um, so it's going to make life easier and it probably will make, mean that Although you're a 360, you're probably like a, a souped up 360 on steroids because you're using, you know, AI to, to make your life easier. Um, but but it, at the moment, certainly, you're right. You don't get many people who are very good 360 consultants who can do it. Um, you get a lot of people who are, you know, glorified order takers who can, you know, get an introduction to a client from a, you know, a colleague and then write down what they're looking for and then go to market try and find it but it was you know there's, there's a lot more skill in um yeah being full 360 here's a question for you right and i i posted this on linkedin i think i've posted it a couple of times this year it always rustles some feathers um <laughs> because everyone's got a different answer and you know the, yeah. the top billers always they always you know they'll respond in the way you would expect but what do you think actually makes like how would you class a good recruiter so do you think it's just their billings do you think it's their cv to interview ratio do you think it's um you know uh their recommendations they get because they're given a good experience is it you know like you said the ability to to be a 360 and do the whole thing because i find it's almost impossible to judge and the easiest thing to do obviously is just say oh who bills most but as we've just discussed, you know, some of the some of the best recruiters I've met were just didn't have the ambition, didn't have the drive. They just wanted to work a nine to five, earn 55K a year quite easily, um, bill 150K, very average in London, 150, and, um, and then just go home. But they were the better ones. They were way better than the 200 and 250K billers I know. But they just didn't have the drive. So, how do you, how do you like judge people? Because it's not even just about the technical ability of actually being able to recruit or being able to win business yeah. or being able to account manage. It's it's so much more than that, isn't it? And it's um, it also like 
you have to take into consideration of like how driven are they, how ambitious. But is that unfair to judge them? Are you, is it unfair to say you're not as good a recruiter as Will because even though you're a better recruiter and you're better at BD and you're you can you're a fantastic salesman or whatever, Will works longer hours, so he makes up mm. for that. He compensates for his lack of ability because he works harder. So I don't know what, in your opinion, makes a good recruiter. So really good question, right? And different people or to give you different answers here. So the, the business owner, the recruiting business owner and me, the answer for me is the person who builds the most money. Like that for me makes them the best recruiter. But if you talk to my clients, that's, I don't give a fuck how much they bill, mate. You know, the, the less CVs they send me and the, the, the more people I interview, the better. So the person with a better CV interview, CV to interview ratio is going to be the better recruiter to that client. So there's different kind of, you know perspectives on what makes someone good like i think overall you have to look at it like relatively holistically and think right okay it's a combination of how much you're billing compared to how much you're doing compared to like how much you're being paid and like the work you're being put in there's like a there's probably like a formula you could probably work out but but i i I think that the, the people who are genuinely the best recruiters are the people who are spoken about most favorably when they're not in the room so like the client mm. who says yeah you need to talk to will at OX 7 or you need to talk to kieran at you exclusive right that's the best endorsement you can get of being a good recruiter rather than some you know clever marketing or recruitment campaign like marketing campaign where they ram it down your throat they're fucking headhunters and they do everything by the book and they do all this other shit. It's what people say about you when you're when you're not there. That really denotes what is actually someone who's very good at their job. Or oh, well, you should you should talk to so and so. They gave me a fantastic experience. You know, I loved working with them. They're great. Like that, I think really is the, the you know how you define a good recruiter. But like I say, for, for me, if you were to kind of put my, if you were to say to me, look, rank your the people who work, you know, with you in, in kind of order of who's best, I almost guarantee you that best to worst would be who's built the most and who's built the least. But that's because I'm coming in from a business owner's perspective, who's making the money. If you said to your clients, you know, do you think they're good? And they said, yeah, because they don't send many CVs. Like, they don't give a shit how much someone builds. Like, they, they can care. They don't care if they work, you know, nine till five or they work eight till seven. Like, they, they just want to get the best possible result for them. So I think it very much depends on who you talk to um, and, and kind of whose perspective it comes from. I think also, because um, I obviously don't know how you operate and, and whatever, but the, the I think the culture and, like, the the way you work in in that company makes it a lot easier because you because you obviously have a smaller team you're very careful around who you hire um you know from from the sides of it it's all very like quality over quantity and etc etc you're probably working like high quality jobs so it seems like from what you're saying it's probably a level playing field but as we both know in a lot of companies it really isn't because you've got Mm. i worked in a company where there was a million pound biller who was only a million pound biller not because he was that amazing He's just been there 10 years. He got the job there when he was like 18, 19. Yeah. He's been in million yeah. pounds and he's treated like a God. And, you know, and then, yeah. it, and then it sort of feeds into itself because um, he's treated like a God because he does a million pounds. And because he does a million pounds, he's treated like a God in, in that he's passed yeah. all the best business. He's passed all the best candidates. Yeah. So 
it's um i suppose in a level level playing field at one company um where everyone's 360 you're right like it probably is most of the time billers um yeah and in the uh in the descending order but um you said something there as well which sort of leads us off onto a topic i really want to talk to you about um with regards to personal branding you said what like the in your opinion, what makes the best recruiter in a lot of instances is what people say about them when they're not in the room. You've obviously built really good personal brand. Um, you guys put out some really funny content and it's not just your personal brand. It's like your, your actual company brand, um, which is obviously how we got talking in the first place. So could you like just talk us through how that came about, why you started creating content, your creative process and the importance of building a personal brand nowadays yeah of course man so like for me right so i'm inherently lazy okay so i'm i'm actually a very lazy human being like believe it or not i'm a very lazy human being so i like taking the path of least resistance to everything i do right now in recruitment that pretty much means if you put a job out you're just gonna have people come to you who want the job and are qualified and the way you do that is by having as many people, suitable, qualified people, seeing that opportunity, okay, seeing or being exposed to what you're working on. Therefore, they can contact you directly and say, yeah, I'm perfect. I'm a project manager. You're looking for a project manager. Happy days. Jobs are good and right. The way you do that is getting more eyes on your content, right? And from going on LinkedIn like today to what you would go on it five years ago, it's a fucking different platform. It's a completely and utterly different platform. And actually, it's a much better platform because people now are using it to showcase themselves as human beings, right? There's, there's no, like, there's a massive increase in people who are actually being really authentic and just talking about their life and, you know, stuff they've done, like they've got engaged or had a baby or whatever, right? I care about that kind of stuff far more, but I care about the fact their company offers the best range systems in South Northamptonshire. Right? I, I, I couldn't give a shit about that kind of stuff. Like you, 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 you gravitate towards the person and the human being. So, like five years ago when we started at seven, I wanted to be like known for being normal people not being a corporate recruiter who wears a tie to work who thinks mm. that you should call everyone sarah madam who you know just acts in a certain way right for, for me we need to humanize ourselves because the perception of recruiters on the whole is pretty low it's pretty bad it's pretty shit because they think we're faceless people who only really care about getting commission right when yes of course, we want to make the deal happen and we want to earn money and earn commission. But actually, the layer kind of directly beneath that is we're good human beings. We want to make people happy. We want to do right by people. So we developed like a, a strategy, like a marketing strategy or a personal brand strategy where we were just ourselves, where we posted stuff that we found funny, that we felt like people who would like us would find funny, right? So that's kind of evolved today where we post you know videos regularly of what's going on in the office and it's almost like parodying like the industry it's, it's like holding a mirror up to the recruitment industry and saying look most of you dickheads are like this right you know and kind of people resonate with it and they understand it 
most people get the satire of it some don't which is hilarious we find that even funnier but when when we're creating content and when we're kind of putting stuff out there with a view to kind of building up our following building up the amount of eyes that see when we put proper stuff out like adverts job adverts and stuff like we don't do it to appease a certain like target audience we don't say right we really want to make a bit of content that's going to appeal to sales directors in the northwest right we we don't do any of that we think we're going to do it because we find it funny like we find it funny if you don't like it fuck it i don't care like i'm not really that bothered you know, i'm not making it for you 99 percent of the time we're making it because we as a company find it really funny right so which is why we've got um so adam mullard in so adam mullard is aka shuffle tea battle rapper writer you know g like genuinely a genius like it's mental it's actually mental that he's bothering giving us the time of day to do all of our content and all that kind of stuff because he should be and he will be soon doing stuff for the bbc he'll be like you know writing sitcoms and and everything right because he's fucking brilliant he genuinely is so like we he creates scripts and he creates stuff based on listening to all of us you know us kind of six seven consultants talking about what's going on on a daily basis like like perceiving what's frustrating what's funny what's not then he'll come and make these scripts and you know we'll perform them now it's a double-edged thing for me right because actually recruitment's a bloody hard job right and you can spend six seven hours of rejection of people talking to you like shit like thinking you're a scumbag and like you can just think fucking hell this is rubbish we then spend like probably half an hour to an hour a day coming together as a little group and performing these scripts together like a little like like workshop kind of thing where we have a great time away from work we don't even really think about work or whatever performing these things together laughing together and forgetting that actually, you know, we've just had 45 grams worth of dropouts in the last week. We just find, you know, we just perform and stuff together and find it funny. Right. The fact that we then put it online and other people find it funny as well is a is a bonus, really, you know, because actually the more people you have, like, and I always say to the guys, like, you build up, like, really, you, you only want, like, a, a hardcore of fans who like your stuff. Like, the people who put posts out there are them wearing a bikini, doing a selfie, saying, you know, live, life, laugh, you know, whatever. Like, it's not sustainable. Like, the only reason that gets so much engagement is because LinkedIn is full of, full of blokes, mainly, who are simping after these women, right? And I know it sounds horrible, but, it, but it's true. Like, you look at the comments, it's CD warehouse managers from Nuneaton saying, you know, oh, great pick, babe, or whatever. <laughs> so it, it works for them, but it doesn't work for fucking fat, middle-aged blokes like me. Like, it, it's just completely different, right? So you want a core group of people who find your stuff entertaining, who find it funny, the more stuff you do, the more entertaining you are, you grow that core of people to its bigger and bigger who then share it, who like it, who comment on it, and therefore goes into people's like second networks and third networks, and it grows that way. So we, we never try and make content to make it appeal to a mass market or make it appeal to a specific demographic. We do it because we find it funny and we think it's good, and it kind of presents us as who we are, which is human beings who are self-aware 
and self-deprecating of what ridiculous industry we work in because recruitment is a ridiculous industry i don't care what anyone else says there is no way on god's green earth that someone like me with no qualifications who wears you know shorts and socks and sandals to work should be earning you know or, or billing as much as accountants solicitors lawyers fucking all these proper people who have studied and have a very good qualification proper jobs to, like proper jobs mate proper people with proper jobs like should be, we shouldn't be doing it the fees we charge are astronomical and they are ridiculous right i'm not going to complain because it's helped me buy a house you know it's helped me pay off my all my missus clanas like it's you know it is been good for me so i'm not going to complain but we have to acknowledge that it is slightly ridiculous and all of these people who are normally 65-year-old recruitment owners who are like, yeah, well, I've been doing this for 35 years. I've built up all this knowledge. You know, I should be earning, you know, this fucking £8,000 an hour, you know, to, to do my job. It's it's slightly ludicrous. Like, we, we have to acknowledge that the job we do is difficult, yes, um, but we kind of need to be a bit self-aware of, like, we're very fortunate and very privileged to be able to charge the amounts of money we do to be a middle person, you know, to, to introduce people. So that's, that's like really all we do. You know, we just say, hello, hello, David, please meet John. Thank you very much. Here's your invoice. See you later, guys. Of course, there's more stuff to it than that. Fundamentally, we're introducing people who wouldn't have otherwise been introduced if we hadn't come along. And we have to acknowledge that charging the money we do for it is fucking mental and i still do believe one day people will wake up and go what why on earth were you paying nine and a half thousand pounds to be introduced to fucking john who stayed with us for 12 months and fucked off somewhere else like it's crazy so sorry a little bit of a rant then i know it's very like counterintuitive given my own two recruit businesses but i i still do think it's crazy well actually so this this is this is really interesting you ended that point with that because I wanted to finish this off with getting your opinion on the future of recruitment because <laughs> I mean, you've probably seen a lot of my stuff and I think there's fundamentally a lot of problems with the recruitment industry, not just in the UK globally, just how it's run. Um, you know, and a lot of the, a lot of the high fees you're talking about, well, that's a knock on from the high fees agency you have to pay to keep themselves alive, you know, for software for, I mean, LinkedIn recruiter, for example, is, extraordinary in, in its price it's mental but this this is all you know all sort of like how it all became so expensive i suppose and mm. what's going to be really interesting is over the next 10 years with everyone bagging on about ai but for good reason as long as the ai don't you know make humans extinct um we'll still be going in 10 years or so and what what that's going to look like you know like where is AI going to plug in? Because it's obviously going to plug in. I mean, I've been utilizing automation tools, um, like AI automation tools uh, quite recently, actually. And, they, and it's been a game changer, uh, mm. to be honest with you. And they're cheap as well, like considering like automation tool or hiring an SDR for on a salary. So it's going to be really yeah. interesting to see what happens. But like, where, where do you see it happening? Do you see... Um, AI completely taking over and then the recruiter's job completely changing? Do you see um, it not changing that much? It's just that AI is going to 
um, sort of take over the boring stuff, which means we can focus on the human element? Um, or do you see the whole contingency model just completely going away and then everyone moves to some sort of like software as a service monthly type model? So I think firstly, the recruitment industry would be would benefit massively from being regulated. I think if there was some form of regulation and some form of standards that people had to work to and abide by, that would actually help everyone. That would help the clients, that would help the candidates, that would actually help recruiters. You would see a massive drop off. You would see people leave the industry in droves, which I think would be fucking brilliant, to be honest with you. So you get rid of the cowboys, you get rid of the chances and the knobheads who, you know, do ruin it for everyone, right? So I would, first of all, make people like sign up to this thing and you know they'd have to do tests and then before you can go and practice recruitment you'd have to be accredited to do it i think that'd be the best step they could take they'll never do it but it would be the best thing for it to happen in regards to ai the way i see it is ai probably will influence our lives across everything we do everywhere right and it will be an integral part of what we do and it will make life easier i think for the next five years or so whilst it's being refined what it will do is it will take away a lot of the menial task right so i was trying to use an analogy to my team the other day so like imagine we're chefs in a kitchen right at the moment we're chopping every onion we're chopping every carrot ourselves and we're doing all the matching we're getting all the kind of prep together and then we're adding our magic by kind of cooking it together and putting it all together and making it happen i think ai is going to chop the onions chop the peppers and tell us kind of how to put it all together to make it taste really nice. But I think it's still going to require a human touch to taste and go, mm, that's not quite right. It needs some more salt, it needs some more pepper. Like you can never replace that. You can never replace the magic, like you say, of you know the human interaction and the, and the kind of dealing with people. And you, we will see resistance from kind of the wider general public in terms of using AI. You see it now. People don't want to talk to fucking bots on websites. They don't want to talk to like someone who's going to give them generic stock answers. They don't want to talk to a fucking person on the phone going, tell me your problem after the beep. Like they they want to talk to a human being who can sort it out and make make it happen. So I don't think actually there's ever going to be a time where everything is fully AI. We're just dealing with robots and stuff. We, we just, it's nonsensical. It'll never happen. What they will do is they'll create programs, they'll create software, they'll create, you know, processes which facilitate us to do our job a lot more efficiently. So, yes, there'll be less recruiters, there'll be less good recruiters because a lot of people's job at the moment is is glorified order takers and glorified kind of, you know, CV harvesters, which will be done by AI, which is fine, which is a completely different service to what a lot of people want or need. Most people need some form of consultation. When someone goes to, you know, to mark on a job, they need someone to say guys you're paying 10 grand under market value or you're you know you're, you're asking for someone to come to central oxford when getting there's a bloody nightmare you need to do two days a week i don't think ai is ever going to understand the nuances of the human brain and human nature and because of that it's not going to ever i don't think overtake us it's just going to make life easier because we use chat gpt we use you know can you tell me the 10 biggest e-commerce companies in Woking or whatever, like, done, there it is. Rather than going through Google, going, okay, there's that, and there's that. You're putting it in there and you've got it in 10 seconds. Bish, rush, wash, can you give them a decision maker's names? Easy peasy. And it, like, it will make life easier from that perspective. But I don't think there's ever going to be a time where you can then drag that decision maker's name into an email campaign and let it run through a sequence of like automated emails, which even when it says it's got hyper-personalization or whatever, 
it just hasn't and you can tell like i can tell a mile off when i get emails which is clearly like sequences and i'm just like oh fuck off like i I would respect so much someone so much more if they just said hi will i see you're a massive fan of the office wasn't it funny when finchie did this or whatever like I, i would be like oh my god fucking sell to me please um like and I just don't think we'll ever get that of automation. As, as clever as it gets, it's never going to be more complex than the human mind, which is unpredictable, which is like, you know, scatty, <clears throat> which is, you know, changing on a daily basis because of its environment. So, yeah, that's my thoughts, really. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a minefield. Um, we just don't know. Um, one thing you touched on there is actually as well, um, just to sort of finish this off, because it's something I, I've been saying for quite a few years, actually, is... And it's just, just from my perspective of like, you know, trying to improve the industry. What do you think of like, I mean, maybe it's sort of what you were talking about then, but what do you think about of like some sort of like actual qualification for say a 360 recruiter, like you said, where you have to actually go and there's like some sort of standard course or something where you learn everything about, you know, business development doing everything best practice, sourcing and everything. So it teaches you all the technical skills, but it also teaches you how to do it in like an ethical way, like you said. And then we come back to like regulation of, I I personally think there's, though it would ruin a lot of people's businesses. And like you said, it would probably clear out 50% on day one. Is that a bad thing? I don't think so. But I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I do feel like that's something that, would really help because then there would be some sort of standard the, the the amazing thing about recruitment is the fact that you can have no GCSEs, no education, come off of the street and be earning a hundred K within five years. Amazing. You can't really do that in any other industry bar, maybe like acting or being a footballer or something, but that's also the worst thing about it because then you do end up with loads of cowboys. People yeah. just set up recruitment businesses because they hear it's easy money, ruin the reputation, hire people. They have an awful experience with these people who have no idea what they're doing um, and then drop out and then the reputation goes down and down and down. That's it, bud. Like, there's no barriers to entry. And it, you're right, it is amazing, but you can come into an industry and make a living very quickly, you know, and, and not have any qualifications. But that really is more of a minority. Like, you look at people's CVs. Like, I, I reckon most people I know have had some form of flirtation with recruitment in their, in their life. I know loads of people who have, you know, given it a shot, done three months, not for them, see you later. I genuinely think if we, you know, an industry our size, which is what like forty-five billion pounds a year or whatever, it does seem there does it does make sense to have some form of regulation because it's going to control costs slightly better. You know, it's saying oh you, you're not allowed to charge more than this or, or whatnot removes the greed element, which removes the unethical decisions because you're not making decisions based on how much money is going to go into your pocket. You're going to make decisions based on you know who what's right by a person or a human being you're not going to get clients spending ridiculous amounts of money on recruitment fees when actually they don't need to they've just been taken advantage of which means they can then invest more money in developing you know people on their team or doing whatever or, or however they choose to do it i just think it benefit become the, the, the industry so much just having some form of like accepted 
gold standard. And don't get me wrong, BREC, you know, do the certifications and whatnot. But let's be honest, it doesn't mean anything. Like, you know, no one really gives a shit. Mm. No one's going to choose one recruiter or another because they've got REC after their name. Uh, or CERT RP or whatever, because it's just it's just, just a, an interpretation of best practice. It's not actually any form of regulation. So, um, so yeah. Well, look, mate, we've covered a lot there. Um, where do you want people to, like, go check your stuff out? Like, watch your socials, that sort of stuff? Yeah, so go to our TikTok. That's the one we're trying to grow at the moment, and that's where we put most of our controversial stuff. We put a lot of stuff on TikTok. We don't put on LinkedIn because we don't want to get banned from LinkedIn. So um, I just don't give a shit if I get banned on TikTok. So head over to our TikTok, but also, you know, check out our LinkedIn as well for the, the slightly, you know, less controversial stuff but um but yeah just 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 find us ox7 and what's your tiktok it's ox7 it's just literally ox ox7 and the word seven we've got an early boy um all right mate well nice one really appreciate you coming on mate thank you mate